Hi, I'm Father David Dufresne, parochial vicar of St. Charles Borromeo Catholic Church in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome to the St. Charles Church Talks podcast. The Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a young man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He replied and said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You are lacking in one thing. Go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At that statement, his face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Lord, with your permission, I'd like to talk about the evangelist, Saint Mark. And there's an ancient tradition of the church that the young man in this passage is Saint Mark. It's Saint Mark's version of this that has one telling detail. I bet you can guess what it is. St. Matthew has this same exact scene, but Mark remembers the look of Jesus. When Jesus replies, you are lacking in one thing. St. Mark remembers the look of Jesus at that moment. So Mark is also called John in various parts of the New Testament by St. Paul in Acts of the Apostles. And this was kind of common in that area that obviously we're talking about Jewish people, but it was a Greco culture and often had a Latin language influence from the Roman Empire. So Mark was his Latin name, Marcus. And in Hebrew, he would have been known as Johannes, or translated as John. So many times in Acts of the Apostles, if they want to distinguish well, what John are we referring to, well, the one who is also known as Mark to all of his Roman buddies. So one of the first hints that we also have of young John Mark's life, another detail that's only found in Mark's gospel, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's a curious little detail that only Mark includes. It says that there was a young man who was following Jesus who had nothing on but a linen cloth. And they seized this young man. But he left the linen cloth 
and ran away, naked. So that's a detail Mark was sure to include, kind of embarrassing on several levels. One, he ran away home naked. That's embarrassing. How do you explain that to your mom? But also the fact that he ran away. How do you explain that to your friends? That cowardice. So Mark isn't up to a very good start at this point. Going away sad. We can also glean that he had a, a pretty devout upbringing. Keep the commandments. And with the pride that seems to go along with youth, he said, well, I have. And in my mind, anyway, I kind of just laugh at that, but Jesus takes him seriously. But then says, okay, with keeping all the commandments, you're lacking in one thing. And then Jesus kind of gives them a, a couple more things, right? To go sell and then come back, give to the poor, and then come back and follow me, Jesus says. You might say that's three things. But really, what Jesus is saying, you are attached. So become detached to the things of this world. And when you are detached from the things of this world, then you can attach yourself to me. That's kind of one action. What are you holding? You're holding the world. You should be holding on to me, Jesus is saying. So we see a lot just from these two little passages, from the Gospels anyway, of that Mark includes, perhaps autobiographically about himself. He was also searching. Grew up in a devout household, was keeping the commandments. He was a good little boy by all accounts, but he knew that wasn't enough. He said, I'm still not happy at a profound level. He was good. He was keeping the commandments. He had a good household, presumably. He had a comfortable lifestyle, relatively speaking. And he still knew that wasn't enough. Okay. So there's a little snapshot from the Gospels. We know from Acts of the Apostles something else about this young man, John Mark. So St. Peter, when he was arrested and he had this dream and vision and angels came to him and broke him out of jail and he didn't quite know if he was in a trance or if this was real and, and he got out of jail and he was led to the house of this matriarch, one of the leaders of the early Christian community. And she wasn't quite sure that she was believing her own eyes that Peter, they all just saw, got arrested, was at her home in Jerusalem knocking on the door. So it took a little bit of finagling for Peter to get in. And we are told that this woman's name is Mary, the mother of John, whose other's name was Mark. We say that there are many other Christians gathered together who were praying. It's in Acts chapter 12. So Mary, we're not exactly sure who this Mary is. I had the pious thought that perhaps this was one of the Marys who was at the crucifixion. Tradition's pretty silent. We're just left to speculate. But maybe. Maybe it was Mary, the wife of Clopas, who was at the crucifixion. We know or have good evidence to suggest that Mary, the wife of Clopas, was the other disciple on the way to Emmaus. Perhaps they were going out of town. We don't know. 
That's just speculation. We're not sure who this Mary, the mother of John Mark, is. But she accepts Peter. She accepts a lot of the Christians who were praying. So this also tells us something about the household that John Mark grew up in. We know that John Mark, as a young man, was part of the first missionary trip that St. Paul and Barnabas were on. It says a few verses later in the same chapter of Acts 12, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Okay. So that first mission trip was kind of local. You know, they didn't get on, they didn't get shipwrecked, they didn't go too far, it was just to Antioch. But it was there that people were first called Christians, right? It was there that Paul, Barnabas, and young John Mark spread the gospel outside the immediate area of Jerusalem. Okay, so not bad. We know from elsewhere that John Mark is a cousin of Barnabas. Presumably they grew up very close to one another as the family unit, unit was very tight-knit back then. Okay, next chapter in Acts, we hear that upon barking, embarking on the second trip, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. St. Luke, the author of Acts, doesn't give us too many other details other than that. He quit. We don't know why. He just went back home. We don't know if there was a fight. We don't know if he got the menu and he wasn't too excited about this missionary trip. We're not exactly sure if they were experiencing persecution or he was just scared. But he went home. And Paul never forgot about it. How do we know? Because it tells us a little bit later. So that's the second missionary trip of St. Paul. You know he went on three of them. The first one just down to Antioch. And then the second one um, going around Greece. Right? And then the third one, the most extensive, it says in Acts 15. It says that Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to work. And there arose a sharp contention, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. So Paul remembered that Mark, for whatever reason, quit, left, abandoned them, however we want to phrase it. But Paul was still bitter, it sounds like, and would not even permit John Mark to come on their third trip. Barnabas, I don't know if it was because of his family relation, is trying to stick up for his cousin, to so give him another chance. Paul says, no chance. He's dead to me. He didn't say that, but I can kind of glean that from the text. And so it was so fierce that good buddies, Paul and Barnabas, split ways at that point, And they took separate trips. Okay, so we thought we had family issues. Right? We thought we had fights within friends. You're not special. You're not unique. We're doing this from the beginning. Okay, so we have several other clues outside of Acts of the Apostles about this character, John Mark. So it was typical for Paul to kind of write his, his postscript at the end of many of his letters. Greet so-and-so in the faith. 
let, let so-and-so know that, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to send them some money. Um, I'm with so-and-so, and they send you greetings as well. So at the end of St. Paul's letter to the Christians living in Colossae, or we might say the letter to the Colossians, he concludes by saying, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, receive him. So a little gracious. The, co- the community probably kind of knows about this bad blood, kind of knows about the riff between Paul and Barnabas because of John Mark. And Paul is saying, you know, if, if you see Mark, welcome him, receive him. Kind of gracious, kind of be like, all right, don't, don't kick him out. Like, just treat, treat him well. And at Colossians, at the end, it also says that Paul seems to be uh, in, in jail. He's in Rome. He's writing to the Colossians from Rome in jail, or like house arrest, basically. And he mentions he also has St. Luke with him as well. So here we have Luke and Mark in the same place, in Rome, in jail. And St. Paul uh, says the same thing when he writes from jail, writing to Philemon, who is the slaveholder of Onesimus, as St. Paul is exhorting Philemon to grant Onesimus his freedom, being now a Christian, to treat this slave now as an equal. And so he concludes that letter as well, saying that Mark and Luke are both with me here in jail as I write this letter. Okay, so no small thing. Two of the evangelists talking with Peter and Paul, who are both in jail in Rome around the same time. So Mark was probably a little boy, maybe not there for all of the events. He lists the two things that he had a personal encounter with Jesus with, and it's not too flattering. The rich young man who went away sad because he'd rather have his stuff than to follow Jesus. And then the young man who ran away He was so scared, he even ran away naked in Gethsemane. And then the young man who ran away from St. Paul. So we're kind of sensing a pattern here about John Mark. It's not a very good one. Okay, so that's just painting a picture a little bit about who John Mark is. St. Peter also refers in his letter that my son Mark. And so Peter uses very affectionate terminology with John Mark. And we know outside of scripture and tradition that um, one of the mandates that St. Peter gave Mark is to go and to be the bishop, the founding father, if you will, of the church in Alexandria in northern Egypt. So that's where St. Mark went to go be bishop. That's where he was martyred for his faith. And for a long time, that's where he was buried until kind of the Crusades and the Venetians took it upon themselves to keep, uh, to take his bones for safekeeping, at least that, that's what the Venetians said, up to Venice. So that's where St. Mark's uh, earthly remains are right now. But I do kind of imagine, and I invite you to imagine, that scene in Rome where you have Peter and Paul in different jails and John and, and Luke, I'm sorry, John, Mark, and Luke are talking to them, we know, spending time with them. And so Peter, I imagine, is kind of filling in the gaps with his own stories of encountering Jesus. Peter also remembers that gaze when he denied our Lord in Gethsemane 
three times, and then he sees our Lord while in trial. And it says that Peter wept bitterly. Saint Peter also can be rather passionate, like John Mark. It, Peter was called Satan by our blessed Lord himself. He put his foot in his mouth all the time. He cut off a Roman soldier's servant's ear, Malchus. We're not exactly sure, but maybe it already happened where Mark was with Peter learning some of these stories and Peter had encountered the Lord Jesus in Rome, that famous Quo Vadis story, where, where Jesus asks Peter, where are you going? Or rather, Peter asks Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus responds, I'm going to Rome to be crucified again. Perhaps Peter remembers that look and realizes that no, Peter needs to go to Rome to be crucified, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So perhaps that, that scene had already happened. Right, so we also know that Mark, John Mark, gets a lot of his material. He's essentially the scribe for St. Peter, writing what St. Peter remembers, which is why the Gospel of Mark is so unflattering when it comes to depicting Peter that St. Peter never does anything right in the Gospel of Mark. He's always failing, getting the wrong answer, denying our Lord. St. Matthew has a much more nuanced or well-rounded depiction of Peter. So Peter and Mark also have that in common. They're very acutely aware of their failures, of their shortcomings, of the times they quit, of the times they got it wrong acutely aware of that and had no problem kind of putting that on front page in the Gospel of St. Mark. So I imagine as they're having these conversations in Rome, Peter and John Mark, that as Peter's explaining all of this, encountering the Lord, his denials, his failures, that it also does something to St. Mark. That this perhaps gives a little courage and encouragement to Mark, to say, well, here's, here's a prince of one of the apostles. Right? Here's the first pope. Here's the leader of all the apostles. And he's telling me about how he got it wrong, about how he was so quick to deny our Lord. Maybe there's hope for me, too. Maybe my story isn't done yet. Maybe the Lord hasn't given up on me, just like the Lord did not give up on St. Peter despite all those failures and weaknesses. So here we have two people, Peter and John Mark, who are acutely aware of their failures, of their shortcomings. But it didn't get them down. They didn't stare at that. They, they, like, that wasn't the end of the story. They realized that that's not what defined them. That both of them recount right, the look of our Lord even perhaps, we might say, in one of their worst days. But it, it was that look that they remember, not so much their failures or their weakness. It was the look of our Lord in that moment. Right? And it wasn't one of disgust. Right? And it wasn't one of judgment. Right? It brought them right, to repentance. But it was a look of love. It was a look that, that drew them closer 
to the Lord Jesus. Peter wept bitterly and then continued to follow the Lord Jesus. So there were men who recognized not so much the gravity of their sin, which was certainly there, they recognized that, but they recognized how the Lord's mercy is so much more powerful and operative in their lives. They profoundly recognized their need, their need for help, and were profoundly grateful to have received help in the Lord Jesus. That's what they focused on, the power of God being able to operate and work with their own weakness. That's certainly what St. Mark highlights in his gospel, the, the power of Jesus, especially in the face of us weak human beings. So in that moment or those moments of failure, we have to remember to look at the Lord Jesus, to desire to see his face, to, to remember that gaze. And certainly we can weep bitterly for our sins, and we should. Right? But not to be focused on our sins, not to be focused, not to allow the evil one to define us by that or say, I'll never get over this, or that's who I am. Right? But rather to pivot in, in our sadness, in our weakness, in our frailty, to gaze on the Lord's face. So we're reminded once again that a saint is simply someone who gets up one more time than they fall. Right? These saints, Peter and St. John Mark, right, they were not perfect. They were some of the people who were closest to the Lord, and they also fell away from the Lord pretty hard and pretty far. Right? But they got back up. Or rather, it was the gaze of our Lord that had them rise. And so too, when we fall, not to stay down, not to wallow in it, not to have a pity party, but to get back up, allow the Lord to rise us. So sometimes we can feel like John Mark, right? We're on this roller coaster. We can have good days. We just got back from this missionary trip, you know, hanging out with St. Paul. And then on the next one, we fail, we give up, we quit. And then maybe that could be acute. Maybe we have a bad experience with St. Paul and he says, I'm, I, I want nothing to do with you. Get away from here. Right? We could really take that to heart. Right? And maybe we feel a little good if Barnabas sticks up for us. Oh, come on, like, give him another chance. Like, no, we feel rejected again by Paul. Right? Then Peter gives us another chance. Right? So keep trying, keep getting up. Don't let any personal fall, don't let other Christians to keep us deflated, to keep us down. Right? Saints are people who get up one more time and they fall. So may we pray for the grace to keep returning to the Lord Jesus. Pray for the grace to always seek his face, to seek that look. Pray for the grace to weep for our sins, but not to let those sins keep us down, to repent of them, to confess them, and to allow the Lord's face, his gaze, to help us get back up every time. Praise you, Jesus Christ, now and forever. Thanks for joining us today, and please remember to subscribe. And if you enjoyed our show, give us a rating on the Apple Podcasts. Peace.